Hey, welcome back. I got a little story for you from Nashville, Tennessee. I've only visited briefly. What a wonderful little city. It, in some ways, it reminds me of New Orleans. Um, a very musical city, of course. Imagine shutting down all the bars and restaurants there. It really strikes at the heart of the city and its character. But I got some awful news about how they shut down those bars and restaurants on false, faked science. I'll get into that here. Even if you've ever been to Nashville, you can imagine, you can imagine your own city shut down on a ruse. Hey, before I get to the news in uh, today's show, let me invite you to, to uh, get the Rebel News Plus subscription. It's eight bucks a month, less than Netflix, and you get access to the video version of the podcast and also Sheila Gunn Reed's show and David Menzies' show. And I think, I think there's also another benefit of subscribing, and that's to support Rebel News because we don't take any government money, so we rely on you. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. Okay, here's today's podcast. Tonight, Nashville lied about their virus stats because they were too low to justify a panic. It's September 17th, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're the biggest carbon Thank consumer you. I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. Have you ever been in Nashville, Tennessee? What a wonderful city. I haven't spent enough time there, but you can feel the music in the bones of the city. It's like the ocean and St. John's, Newfoundland. Um, I suppose you could live in St. John's and have nothing to do with the sea, but not really because it's soaked into everything. The history of the place, everywhere in the city you can see the ocean. Many places you can hear the ocean. Everyone has some connection to it. St. John's couldn't just be moved into the middle of the prairies. That's how music and Nashville go together. What a great town. Big names in music, but little names in music too. Little bars, little music halls. Like New Orleans, a bed with its blues. And I tell you this because what a terrible strike against the heart of that wonderful city it was to shut down all the little bars and clubs and music halls and restaurants because of the pandemic. I mean, telling Nashville not to listen to music it's like telling St. John's not to think of the sea. You're certainly not to go into it. Yet that's what happened, obviously. I see that the U.S. Attorney General, Bill Barr, is quoted as having said that the pandemic lockdown is the greatest infringement of civil liberties in the United States history other than slavery. And I think he's exactly right. Don't go to work. Don't go to school. Don't go to church. Don't go to weddings or funerals. Don't go to visit your grandparents. Don't travel. Don't gather together. Don't go to the hospital unless it's for the one special magic virus. But everything else from cancer treatment to checkups, that's all canceled. And with no science or policy to back it up, Bill Barr's right. I think the world accepted 15 days to flatten the curve, two weeks to slow the spread. It was phrased differently here and there, but people accepted a two-week pause in life because it was all so new and alien, but wouldn't you know it, it's September 17th today, which just happens to be exactly six months from March 17th when the state of emergency was declared in a lot of different jurisdictions. 
when things are still just getting started. Now, deaths from the virus are so rare, there are days when not a single person dies. That's not a pandemic anymore, folks. Um, Take mighty Ontario. 14.5 million citizens, 268 hospitals. There's a grand total of 53 people in hospital in the whole province. Only 21 in intensive care and 12 on ventilators. 12. That's fewer than one in a million people. The average age of victims of the virus, people who've died from it, is in the mid-80s, which happens to be older than life expectancy anyways. But that last number, 12 people on ventilators. In all of Ontario, I remember when there was a panic in April that we would need tens of thousands of ventilators as we all crowded into hospital alleyways and hallways trying to get on respirators, waiting for our term to die. No, this didn't happen, thank God. Trudeau and Theresa Tam had a model that said up to 350,000 people in Canada would die. No, just over 9,000, and that includes a lot of dubious cases being added to the numbers to pad them. People in their 90s who had three underlying conditions, say cancer, diabetes, and a stroke, and then the virus came. I'm not happy that anyone died from it, but please don't tell me we're in a health emergency. But back to Nashville, that lovely city. Look at this story. COVID-19 emails from Nashville mayor's office show disturbing revelation. Uh Uh-oh, what's the disturbing revelation? Was everyone going to (laughs) die? No, the opposite, actually. Nobody was going to die. And that was just contrary to the official narrative of fear and panic. So the good news was covered up by the Democrat mayor. Did you really need me to tell you he was a Democrat? Here's the Twitter page for the mayor. He's wearing a mask. Here's a hint. If a politician is wearing a mask in their publicity photos, he's a leftist. Let me read a scoop from the local TV station there. The coronavirus cases on Lower Broadway, that's in Nashville, may have been so low that the mayor's office and the Metro Health Department decided to keep it secret. What? Emails between the mayor's senior advisor and the health department reveal only a partial picture, but what they reveal is disturbing. The discussion involved a low number of coronavirus cases emerging from bars and restaurants and how to handle that. And most disturbingly, how to keep it from the public. Can you believe that? Of course you can. Again, bars, music, halls. That's what makes Nashville, Nashville. At least I think so as a casual tourist there, but it's the livelihood of thousands of people too. Let me read from the story some more. On June 30th, contact tracing was given a small view of coronavirus clusters. Construction and nursing homes were found to be causing problems with more than 1,000 cases traced to each category, but bars and restaurants reported just 22 cases. <laughs> Leslie Waller from the health department asks, this isn't going to be publicly released, right? Just info for mayor's office. Correct, not for public consumption, writes senior advisor Benjamin Eagles. A month later, the health department was asked point blank about the rumor there are only 80 cases traced to bars and restaurants. Tennessee Lookout reporter Nate Rao asks, the figure you gave of more than 80 does lead to a natural question. If there have been over 20,000 positive cases of COVID-19 in Davidson and only 80 or so are traced to restaurants and bars, doesn't that mean restaurants and bars aren't a very big problem? Health department official Brian Todd asked five health department officials, please advise how you recommend I respond. Now, I don't need to tell you that 20,000 cases doesn't mean 20,000 people were sick. Many were probably asymptomatic, no symptoms. 
Some were probably false positive tests, but still the number is the number, 20,000 of something. 20,000 cases and only 80 cases were from restaurants and bars, and yet they shut down the restaurants and bars. And they deliberately hid the facts to justify their lockdown. They knew it was false. Here's the worst part here. My two cents, we have certainly refused to give counts per bar because those numbers are low per site. We could still release the total though, and then a response to the over 80 could be because that number is increasing all the time. We don't want to say a specific number. So they knew there was no problem with the restaurants and bars. In fact, if I'm reading this right, those were probably the safest places in all of Nashville. There's about 5,000 restaurants in Nashville, 80 cases. That's it. Here's an idea. Take your grandma or grandpa out of a senior's home and just roll them into a Nashville restaurant. I mean, seniors' homes have been death traps, and these Nashville restaurants sound like sanctuaries. Say, do you think the public policy behind our lockdowns in Canada or frankly anywhere else in America are any less questionable? Here, watch this wonderful exchange with the British health minister on a talk radio show. They've got curfews over there now. They've got this bizarre rule of six. You can't have more than six people together, even if you've got three kids uh, and two parents and the grandparents come over. As in, so you've got three kids plus mom and dad, so that's five people. And then grandma and grandpa come over. That would be seven, so one of them has to wait in the car and only one can visit. You think I'm kidding. You think I'm kidding. Well, I, I'm not kidding, but this rule is all made up here. There's no science to it. Listen to this exchange. I'm not an epidemiologist. Uh, I, I don't have any medical background, but a lot of us are a little bit confused. Maybe you as health minister can explain to us um, that I didn't realise that viruses could both tell the time and count so well. Can you explain to me why six people sitting at a table together in a pub at 9.59pm is perfectly safe? And uh, seven people sitting in a pub at a table at 10.01 p.m. means we're all going to die. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily characterise it as you did there, Julia, but I take your point. Um, the issue being that what we've seen in, for example, Bolton and some other areas is that it's that nighttime economy. It's towards the end of the evening when people have had um, a bit to drink, that sometimes people aren't always as aware of the rules or forget the rules um, and therefore, you can see groups starting to get together, starting to break the rule of sticks, starting to have that close contact. And it's one of the things that appears, and I say appears, um, to be a factor in driving up infection rates in those areas where you see large groups of people late at night who've enjoyed themselves perfectly reasonably with a drink or two, but okay. who then sometimes but, don't follow but in the pubs, regulations. He just made that up. I'm certain of it. He just made that up. That rationale, well, people get a bit drunk, so they have poor judgment at 10 p.m. That's, that's like, it's, it's, he's like a kid being called on to a answer a question in class about homework that he hadn't read, and he just makes it up to see if he can get by. That's amazing to me. How many people lost their jobs because of this cover-up in Nashville? Oh, but they're just the little people, don't worry, just the waiters and waitresses and cooks and busboys and dishwashers and I guess some musicians. Not the important people like the mask-wearing mayor and all the important people working for him and all the important people on these emails. How many businesses went broke? People who poured everything into their little restaurant or bar for years, maybe decades, and were just ended. How many because of a political trick? I saw this page on Tennessee's government website. Avoid coronavirus scams. Yeah, that's a good idea. Don't fall for fake cures or fake checks. 
That's a pretty good idea. File a consumer complaint. Hey, that's a good idea. But what if the scam is coming from inside the government? Stay with us for more. Well, it's a myth that there is no private health care in Canada. Of course there is. For example, workers' compensation often pays cash to get workers to the front of the line. Makes sense. The longer a worker isn't working, the higher the cost. Prisoners also go to the front of the line. Soldiers, too. And, of course, there's a line you can go to if you have a few extra bucks. Go to the United States something famously done by Jean Chrétien when he flew to the Mayo Clinic. No Canadian waiting lists for him. Lots of politicians, and dare I say lots of judges, like private health care. The Scholdeis Hernia Clinic in Ontario is one such example. But mere citizens, lowly members of the public, well, you get back to the public line, don't you know? That's the new ruling from the British Columbia Supreme Court. In the case of Dr. Brian Day, the founder of the Canby Surgery Center that's been offering a free market alternative to British Columbians for more than 20 years. The judges there issued an 880-page ruling recently on Dr. Day's right to practice free market medicine. He joins us now via Skype from Vancouver. Dr. Day, what a pleasure to see you again. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, now tell me a little bit, when I first heard that uh, this case was in the Supreme Court, I, I thought it was the Supreme Court of Canada. This is the B.C. Supreme Court, which I think is like the Court of Queen's Bench in, in Alberta or, or would have another name in other provinces. This is not a done deal yet. This still could go to two more appeals, am I right? Oh, it, it's going to an appeal and absolutely not. It's not a done deal. This is the first decision at the lower level of the three courts that you just alluded to and um, we will remember the Quebec decision of 2005 and um, that also lost at the lower court I, I think it takes a, a strong there was this was by a single judge and um, it takes um, strength to to take government as a as a judge and I think that you know you mentioned some groups that are exempt to show you Perhaps even more remarkably, um, the defendant in our trial is listed as the Attorney General of British Columbia. Well, that office has sent private pay, pay patients to our clinic. Huh. And, and one of the attorneys general who was in office during this um during the time that this, this, this litigation has been going on, had privates paid for surgery himself at a private clinic in British Columbia. So there is, this is, um, we're very disappointed in the decision where it will be appealed. It's causing, this decision is causing a lot of harm already. We have canceled all BC residents. So for example, to kind of illustrate the Canada, um, in British Columbia, um, a, a resident of British Columbia is not allowed to use our clinic. So next week, I was supposed to do seven surgeries on 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 one day. Um, 
the four I cancelled four of those patients. Three of them, the the four that I cancelled are from British Columbia. The three that I'm able to carry on and treat are Albertans. So have rights. You have rights in 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 the province of British Columbia that the government denies to its own citizens. This it does remind me of the former Soviet Union where. So there were shops that only the tourists and visitors could enter. If you were a citizen, you were not allowed there. Yeah, you know what? Um, I am absolutely sure without even checking, but perhaps we ought to check, that judges who are elite, who have connections, who have friends, who are wealthy, uh, and who are generally aged, I am sure without even checking, but I think we ought to do an investigation, that just as you say, the attorney general, the attorneys general of BC, who fight against you in court, use private services, even at your own offices. I got to tell you, I bet the judges do too. I don't understand. Well, you, don't need to, you don't need to guess that or research it as a, because I can tell you they have. I mean, we have received payments, the federal government, for judges being treated at our clinic. Really? Yes. What, how do they excuse that? I mean, I, I've been reading the other side's argument. They say that you're making too much money or that you're diverting the top talent out of the public system. I, I think, well, what's even more important than medical care? I suppose to eat. I mean, if you don't eat in a few days, you die. You don't need doctors all the time. And if we all were in line for, let's say, Subway sandwiches, I'm making an analogy here, bear with me and we were all in a very, very, very long line for Subway sandwiches, and someone opened up a steakhouse next door, and wealthy folks said, I don't want to wait in line for Subway, I'm going to go to the steakhouse. Well, how does that make anyone in the Subway line uh, any further behind? In fact, it empties out people from the public line. And by the way, uh, when I'm saying one is like a Subway sandwiches and one is a steakhouse, I'm implying that the quality in the private center is so much more luxurious. I don't know if that's necessarily always the case. My point is, if you take people out of the public line and they're using their own money to get out of the public line, how on earth does that make anyone in the public line any farther behind? Well, it's exactly analogous to education, right? And we don't ban private schools or private uh, in Canada. And of course, every if you send child to a private school, you still pay your full share of public school. So one example, so actually, to me, that this, this is about patients, patients suffering as a result of this decision. Already, as I said, we've cancelled um, all BC residents, They're included in our cancellations this week, uh, are patients who were supposed to have and biopsies and, and tests um, to see if they had cancers. Those patients now go on to a massive public wait list. And one thing with the COVID pandemic, of course, is that these wait lists have gone up tremendously. There is a, a study out of McMaster that estimates COVID will cause crimes in Canada to rise by four to seven times. Another more dramatic thing since in evidence in our trial, which was uncontested evidence, this was in one health region in British Columbia, um, 
308 patients died in a single year on the wait list. Hmm. They, they, they lived their life out waiting for a procedure and extrapolated to when we began our case, extra, extrapolated across Canada, that amounts to 75,000 patients have died on public wait lists in Canada since we started our litigation 11 years ago. Hmm. Those, I mean, it sounds a t an awful thing to say, but that's, that's, um, that's the reality that people, and said this in the Charlie case, people, patients are suffering and dying on wait lists and they certainly are across the country and more so in the wake of the COVID crisis. So well, we're very hopeful you mentioned, of, of, of success in our appeal. Yeah. You mentioned uh, COVID for a number of reasons. Uh, if 75,000 people have died on waiting lists, well, a grand total of about 9,100 people have died because of COVID-19. And the average age in British Columbia, if I'm not mistaken, is 84. So, I mean, I, and of course, the, the value of an 84-year-old's life is the same value as anyone else. But medically speaking, um, it, I, I would imagine that 75,000 people dying waiting for surgery are likely people who were not in the final chapters of life or who had something that could be solved or cured. Uh, I'm not weighing one life against the other. In fact, I'm, I'm doing the opposite. I'm saying eight times as many people have died uh, from these delays yeah. than from COVID-19. It's terrible to talk about lives in terms of statistics, but when you have a law that bans private surgery, you are going to create a, a massive statistic, aren't you? you? Well, another statistic, which is from government data, which they tried to block us from entering into evidence, but they collected in British Columbia, they defined the maximum acceptable wait time that a patient should wait for any condition and for thousands of conditions at any one time in British Columbia, again, this is evidence in court, 40,000 patients are waiting longer, so again, is pre-COVID, are waiting longer than the government, the defendant in the trial, longer than they the maximum acceptable time they should wait. And yet the court has decided this status quo should continue. And those patients don't have a choice, will not have a choice now. And um, to me, the other important thing, I mean, I alluded to it with the Alberta treating next week, um, that when the Supreme Court of Canada on the Quebec case, it gave Quebecers rights under, under the charter that, the, that this decision denies to British Columbians and indeed rights are denied in Alberta and Ontario and, and elsewhere. Huh. Well, you're incredibly patient to have gone through this and to keep your fighting spirit alive. And as you mentioned, there are two other levels of appeal. Let me ask you, you're canceling surgeries. That's a crisis for the individual patients. Is there a way to get a stay, to get a legal pause yeah. on this ruling if you were to appeal it, which I presume you will, can the effect of this permit you to continue to do surgeries until this makes its way to the Supreme Court of Canada? Yeah, that's a great question. The answer is yes, and we're in the process. It's going to take a few weeks, but in the meantime, you know, the, the government has introduced fines of up to $20,000 per patient. Well, an average, a common, fee for say a knee surgery at our clinic for the for the for 
we this is not a prop, big profit making business in fact two or three clinics have gone bankrupt in the last year before this and um, we and um, tried to enter evidence in court on this our, our clinic generates a profit five 42 to six dollars for every five thousand dollars of revenue and um, and there is the government has imposed fines of up to twenty thousand dollars per patient so obviously we cannot carry on um, we cannot treat a patient where the where the um, revenue is dollars and the profit is sixty five dollars and and the um, and the, it, it's just impossible economically to to carry on until we get that stay that, that we we will be applying for in, uh, but it's going to take a few weeks because we have to create the argument for the for the appeal court you know, I know the Hippocratic Oath do no harm, and I know there's plenty of medical ethics that require you to treat people, even people you disagree with, even people you find odious. Uh, I mean, doctors have a high ethical burden. Uh, I find it infuriating as a non-doctor who is not bound by those uh, morals that the same political and legal class that is trying to put you out of business also uses your business. I still can't get over what you've said to me about attorneys general, attorney general staff, judges, federal judges being sent to you while these the same, and I'm not, I'm not gonna tar the entire legal industry with the same brush, but it is a bit of chutzpah in particular well, for the DC attorney general to use your services while suing you for, for giving those services. Well, perhaps I can shock you even a little bit more the judge, this was a decision brought down by a single judge. The judge himself has had private surgery at another clinic, um, albeit funded under contract by the government. Um, so, um, and this, um, this begs the question, and it does come down, I think, to moral and ethical principles. Why should, this, why should a government have the right to determine that you're long enough that you're now able to let you go to a private clinic and pay for you when in a democratic society you do not have that right yourself that's what the right they've taken away and i should emphasize there is only one jurist there is only one country on earth in which there are jurisdictions which make elite make private health insurance unlawful that is in canada yeah. there is no other country no other country china north korea cuba vietnam Laos, communist countries none of them have laws like this that's incredible i, I want to repeat back to you something you said because i want to make sure i ha i heard it 100 percent accurately your audio cut out for one second there can you confirm for me that you just told me a moment ago, before your point about Canada being the only jurisdiction without a free market alternative, did you tell me that the judge in your case who just issued the ruling against you, I think his name is Ju Judge Steves, if I'm not mistaken, is that the judge? Did you yes. just say that you know for a fact that Judge Steves himself personally has had private medical care even if it was paid for by a public institution. Did you just, is that what you said? I, I, 
I think that's, that's absolutely what, what absolutely what I just said. That that knowledge is in the public domain. That is not patient. Um, he's not. You know that that is in the public domain. The judge and, and, ruled and against admitted, you. And admitted by the judge. Admitted by the judge. That's appalling. That's a let them eat cake moment. That's a one rule for thee, one rule for me moment. And it's not just, you know, it's not just a perk. It's not just getting, a, you know, first class seats in an airplane or front row tickets to a theater show. This is about life or death surgery in some cases. For the very judge who condemns you for offering free market services to have private health care for himself and to admit this publicly, as you say, and yet proceed against you is probably the grossest thing I've heard all week, and it has me infuriated. I wish you good luck in your appeal. I understand your case is being supported by the um, CCF, the Canadian Constitution yes. Foundation. Is that right? Yes. Well, I, I wish them good luck. I know them. Uh, I'm more familiar with the JCCF, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, but I, I used to actually, about a decade ago, I don't know if you know this, Dr. Day, I was on the board of the CCF way back when. And so I know it's work. I haven't been involved with it in many years, but the fact that they're fighting for freedom with you, I find very encouraging. And I wish both them and you good luck. And I hope you don't bend the knee. I know you don't. I know you've been fighting this for more than a decade. And I wish you continued strength and much good luck. Thanks, Esther. All right, all the best. That's Dr. Brian Day. He's the founder of the Canby Surgery Center, talking to us from his office. A lot of incredible things there, and one I just had to check with him because I, I just couldn't believe it when he said it. The actual judge who condemned him and ruled against his private uh, medical clinic has personally used private medical clinics only in Canada. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back on my monologue last night. Neil writes, no other country would purposely sabotage their largest economic driver. Well, you know what? I, um, I've never heard of it either. I mean, Detroit did, through a series of bad decisions, run the auto industry out of town. There are still some auto factories in Michigan, but it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't the goal. No one strode around Michigan and said, we're going to phase out these factories. No one went through Pennsylvania and Ohio and said, we're going to get rid of coal and steel. It, it just happened for larger economic reasons. Only Canada would say, we're going to decarbonize. Let me know when OPEC does that, okay? On my interview with Marty Moore on lockdown restrictions, Alan writes, I'm with you, Ezra, on the rules, but I'm amazed by how my family and friends and neighbors have gone full Orson Welles on me, so much so that I have stopped giving my opinion due to blowback. I, you know, it's very sad to me, and, you know, I remember as a child learning about the Second World War, in particular about the Nazis, and I remember thinking, how could anyone have gone along with this? How couldn't they see? Well, that's a child looking at it in retrospect uh, decades after the war, but the, the peer pressure, the submission, the compliance out of fear, out of loyalty, out of, out of a sense of patriotism, out of, well, everyone else is doing it, out of bowing to authority. Well, my doctor said so. The man on the telly said so. I see with fresh eyes how so many of our own friends and neighbors would have collaborated in being complicit 
with any authoritarian, authoritarian or even totalitarian regime, whether it's the Soviet Union or Nazi Germany. I find it terrifying to see that. You know what, though? In a small way, Rebel News is fighting back. I believe we're making a little bit of a difference. In Canada, with our Fight to Finds campaign, I don't know if you saw, but our new hire in Australia, Avi Yamini, we hired him on the Friday. On the Saturday, he was arrested by lockdown police. We filed a lawsuit against the police in Victoria State, Australia. In our own small way, we're going to try and fight back. Uh, I hope I would have done that if I was in the Soviet Union or in Nazi Germany. I hope I would have fought back in Nazi Germany. I wouldn't have had a choice. They would have rounded me up if I didn't get out of there. But uh, I feel like we're doing a small part of it. And Bill Barr said this is the worst infringement of civil liberties other than slavery. And you know what? People say, oh, that's, uh, that's too much. Well, it's true. I mean, the Japanese internment was harsher, but only a little bit harsher. In a way, hundreds of millions of us have been locked into house arrest. At least they had some fig leaf of a rationale. Well, we're at war with Japan and you're Japanese. That's a racist point of view. But at least there was a rationale there. What's the rationale for locking down everyone of every race and every gender and every age? Just You don't quarantine the healthy people. This is an infringement of civil liberties. And my God, we're going to do something about it if we can, at least here at the Rebel. That's the stories for today. I appreciate you being with us. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.